What type of influence does a physician scientist have on her young daughter? Why is it important to have a broad perspective as an MD-PhD? How does one find time to relax and maintain balance during nine years of medical school? And what is the physician scientist training program? Today on Talking Admissions and Med Student Life, I interview Alex, an MD-PhD medical student here at the University of Utah School of Medicine. Helping you prepare for one of the most rewarding careers in the world. This is Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with your host, the Dean of Admissions at the University of Utah School of Medicine, Dr. Benjamin Chan. Okay, I got another great guest today on Talking Admissions and Med Student Life. Alex, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Dr. Chan. How are you? I am doing fantastic. Uh, Alex, you're at the end of a long journey. We were talking about before I turned on the pod, and we're going to talk about your journey. So let's let's go back to the beginning. Yeah. So you're a current fourth-year med student, but you also earned your PhD. Yes. So many, many years ago, why did you apply to med school? What was the genesis of that? Great question. So um, I kind of have a, a unique story, I guess, in the sense that I grew up with a mother who was a physician scientist. Okay. So this was something that I had noticed uh, that I or aspired to be ever since I was young. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw that kind of a, a woman physician could b- both be a great physician and be a great scientist. Um, so for me, I uh, when I was in college, I wanted to make sure that medicine was what I wanted to do. So I actually went to a liberal arts college and tried really hard to find other things that were exciting to me. Which and, one was this? Uh, Bowdoin College. Bowdoin. Yeah, okay. in Maine. Okay. <laughs> um, and so I explored other options too, like economics and other fun things. But ultimately, it was medicine that I thought, you know, I have a passion for this. Mm-hmm. So after college... Um, I spent a couple of years doing research and that was really what solidified for me doing the MD PhD track. So it was kind of the combination of all of those things is really, um, having a aspirational figure that I could kind of see that this is a career that I wanted and then exploring other options. And then ultimately, um, deciding that both research and the physician track were what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Boston, okay. Massachusetts. Okay. Yeah. So the new England winners, you, yes. Uh, you know them well. Yes, okay. I know them well, and I don't know that I <laughs> would move back there for them. <laughs> All right. And so, and then where did you do research after graduating from Bowdoin? So I went to Children's Hospital Boston, okay. where I worked um, in a lab. Excuse me. Sorry. Um, I worked in a lab at Children's Hospital Boston with mm-hmm. Dr. Len Zahn. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a fantastic mentor. He had a really big lab that had about 50 people. So it was a really fun experience where... You know, I was right out of college, and there was a lot of graduate students, postdocs, other technicians who were all working together. And they really showed me that research could be fun, that we could get really amazing things accomplished. Um, and so that's where I fell in love with research. Awesome. And so then you started thinking about MD-PhD. Yeah. It sounds like you had a great influence from your mother. Um Walk people through that process. I mean, what's it like? How is it different than MD, I guess? Yeah. So I think when I talk to people about this, there's a few themes that often come up. Some people are really worried about the amount of time that it takes. Mm -hmm. So that was certainly something that came up to me, too. You know, um, most programs can be anywhere from seven to nine years total. I ended up taking nine. Um, And it it is a long time. But uh, the way that I eventually saw it is you're you're committing to a life of lifelong learning anyway. Mm -hmm. And so the things that you learn 
um, in the PhD are only going to help with that process. Um, there's a lot you can do research uh, with just an MD too, mm-hmm. um, and then I know a lot of people that have pursued that path. For me, the additional training that I could get as a PhD in terms of grant writing and writing of publications of basic research, which is what I wanted to do, um, was something that I thought the PhD was a worthwhile track to do, even though it took a little bit longer. All right. So you start applying broadly. How did you end up in Utah? Yeah, Walk great me through question. that process. Yeah. So um, something that kind of came up when I was talking to people uh, is when are you ready to apply? So actually, my I had originally planned to do two years of research and then apply. Um, or sorry, one year of research and then apply so that two years after college I would go. And ultimately, in talking to people, I realized that I needed an additional year. There were a lot of benefits that I was going to get out of that third year of research. Um, and I actually moved here to Utah while I was um, doing that, working for a postdoc who'd previously been in my lab. Um, so the, the benefits that I gained from that extra year was that I had additional publications that were already out and published. And mm-hmm. I think that that was really helpful when I applied. Um, I also was able to kind of finish up um, a lot of pre-med requirements and other things, taking the MCAT, which um, allowed me to apply early and be really prepared when I did apply. So it ended up being a total of three years in between college and um, going to medical school. And I... um, my journey to Utah partly was I moved out here, but I had my um, significant other was in graduate school at the time here. Um, and so even though I ap- applied broadly, I got to experience all the wonderful things about Utah and totally fell in love with this place. So you're, it sounds like you're very focused on Utah from the get-go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I did apply elsewhere, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and those experiences were helpful in seeing what it was exactly about Utah that I really wanted to pursue. Mm-hmm. Um, my PhD was in genetics. There's a fabulous genetics program here, um, as well as I'm going into pediatrics, and there's a fabulous uh, pediatric hospital here. So all of those things were draws. Okay, great. So you start medical school nine years ago? Yeah. Was it was it hard to kind of start with a group of people that you become friends with and you get to know your classmates, and then after two years you kind of step off yeah. and you kind of say goodbye? To, I mean, has that been hard at all? Or I think it has been. Um, I mean, with anything, there's there's pros and cons. I mean, the, the benefit of that is that my friend group is just twice as big. So mm-hmm. I had a lot of classmates who went on, um, who now can kind of not only provide me peer to peer mentorship, but also, um, they're now attendings and fellows at other programs. And so they've been able to provide me feedback kind of going into the next step of my career, um, about things to do and stuff like that. So I ha- I still maintain that group of friends. Um, and then in graduate school, I had a whole group of friends and now coming back to medical school, I've entered a wonderful class. So to me, I don't see it as a negative. Um, It's certainly hard to have your friends be attending. Yeah, be attendings, <laughs> but it's also a really fun relationship that you get to have with them. Yeah, they, so. they're at the di- they're at different stages, different levels, and yeah. you kind of yeah. I like how you said that. I mean, you get to kind of consult them and see them around, and they can provide mentorship. Yeah, That's and great. and similarly, you know, a lot of I have a lot of friends um, who are doing research, and uh, I can provide feedback on that front too, reading grants or proposals and that sort of thing. So um, I love the kind of. Uh, hierarchy of mentorship that you can get from kind of going through this journey. Even the young MD PhDs who are just starting medical school, I still remember that experience. And so I love to be a mentor to to people at all stages. That's fantastic. So let's talk about your research. Mm -hmm. So you said genetics. Yeah. Did you, how'd you end up in that lab? What drew you to it? Yeah. So, um, for me, I always found genetics really interesting. Um, 
And it was something that I felt no matter what um, career as a clinician I wanted to take, I could, I could make genetics apply. Mm -hmm. So while I had always thought pediatrics was going to be something that I was going to do, if I wanted to do oncology, genetics would be useful. If I wanted to do internal medicine, genetics would be useful. So really for me, it was about uh, learning how to build tools in my toolbox that I can then apply to clinical questions and answer questions, creating animal models of disease. So um, I ended up picking a lab um, kind of based on where I was going to get good mentorship and support because mm-hmm. I think that ultimately is the most important thing, not necessarily what you research. Um, so I worked with Gab Carden, who's the director of the MD-PhD program, but initially she actually wasn't the director, so that's a role that she um, acquired during my nine, here, nine years here. <laughs> so what can you talk about? Because like, I struggled with the difference between meiosis and mitosis. Yeah. So please explain to me what your project or your dissertation was in, in a way that even I can sure. understand. Yeah. yeah. So um, I was studying muscle stem cells, which are known as satellite cells, and I was studying kind of their role during regeneration as well as aging. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, one of the questions that we asked is, uh, um, are satellite cells important uh, during um, homeostasis? So basically during all of adulthood, are our stem cells helping to contribute to muscle in a way that help that prevents us from losing our muscle mass? Um, and as you know, as you get older, you do lose muscle mass mm-hmm. in a process known as sarcopenia. So we hypothesized that perhaps sarcopenia was when um, the stem cells were no longer contributing or um, had kind of exhausted their potential, and that's why you lose your muscle mass. So the way that we uh, looked at this question was first – do satellite cells contribute? So we labeled them with a fluorescent reporter mm. and then aged these mice for a really long time. Oh, the poor mice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how, <laughs> well, they how were do you age mice? They just hang out in a cage oh, okay. with their so, buddies. And, okay. You just, so you just try to keep them alive. You try and keep them alive possible. for two years. Okay. That's why it took me five is that years. The, is that the lifespan of a mouse? <laughs> lifespan of a mouse can be anywhere between two to three years. Okay. And pushing it. What are some of your tricks to keep mice alive? Um, you like hold them very gently and talk to them. You they actually them. can, they respond to human interaction. Okay. Um, so yeah, you just have to, how many mice are we talking about? Um, because, uh, some of them would kind of naturally pass, but we had to have large cohorts. So we had, I don't know, 50 to a hundred mice. Okay. In these cohorts. Did you give them names or are they just numbers? No, okay. They just had numbers. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, okay sorry. I'm but just fascinated by the, by the nitty gritty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we, Aged them out and then looked um, kind of towards the end of their life. They'd lived a wonderful life um, at whether their muscle had uh, fluorescent green fluorescent protein in the muscle fibers, Mm. no longer in the stem cells. So um, our hypothesis was, okay, do satellite cells contribute? We hypothesized yes. And so, in fact, we did see that these muscle fibers were now green, Mm -hmm. suggesting a green satellite cell stem cell had entered into the muscle fiber itself and turned it green. Okay. Um, we then asked the parallel question, okay, if they contribute, is it required? And then we actually got rid of satellite cells um, earlier on in uh, the mouse's life and then aged them out in the same way. And actually, um, even though we saw that they contributed, the effect um, once we got rid of satellite cells was less strong than we were expecting. So it was an interesting result. 
Well, it sounds like this is leading towards uh, a potential practical application. Is this like the fountain of youth? Is, is this I kind mean, of trying to turn looking, back the cl- everyone's clock looking a bit? For the, okay. <laughs> the fountain of youth, yeah. yeah. Okay, an anti-aging agent. Yes. They? So is, is, is it my, am I making a jump too far? Or? Well, I think that's that would be the next step for okay. people to look at. Another, right. another um, step that we were thinking of is whether – how exercise contributes to that. So mm. if you exercise more, are you getting more of your stem cells contributing to your muscle? And is that helping to um, prevent uh, aging-related loss of muscle mass? So it's hard to get a lot of mouse treadmills. Mm-hmm. We looked into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're expensive. They are? <laughs> yes. Wow. Okay. Yeah. How, how much are we talking about? Like lots of money. Like on the order of, you know, like human size. thousand dollars? Probably. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I just have an image of a hamster wheel. I guess that won't do. Yeah, so okay. they, well, you can have a hamster wheel um, type of thing, but then you have to measure how many rev- revolutions each one goes through. And each mouse has to be housed individually because you have to make sure that. So it ends up getting expensive, which oh. is the only reason we couldn't ex- address that next question. All right. So you're, you're doing your research. Yeah. You, you complete this amazing project. And you're thinking about pediatrics the entire time? Yeah. Okay. Um, so even though I was doing this, mouse aging project which Mm -hmm. was not pediatrics related again Mm -hmm. i said you should go for the mentor who's Mm -hmm. with it not necessarily the project um so yeah i had always thought pediatrics for me kids are just so much fun to be around it makes going to work like such a pleasure they say the cutest things and they're just so resilient Mm -hmm. so for me that's where um i was drawn to pediatrics um i don't know that i'll necessarily stay in muscle but um each of the projects that I worked on, whether it was in high school or college or after college, I feel like I've built a whole bunch of toolboxes or tools in my toolbox to now address different questions. So I find myself going to different lectures in, for instance, like cardiology. And even though I studied skeletal muscle, there's parallels between um, skeletal muscle and cardiac uh, cardiomyocytes. Um, and so there's, I think, having that broad perspective allows me to address different questions in Mm -hmm. different ways. So during third year, where, when did you schedule pediatrics? Um, I scheduled it for the winter time. So it was right in the middle, somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And that was good advice. And then when you had it, what, what, so like you just knew once you did your rotate, like this is for me. I think found found your people, found your home. I think so. Yeah. It was partly about the people. I just, you kind of have to be, bubbly and fun and mm-hmm. happy to be in pediatrics and so i loved paying and you never wavered people. no other field kind of enticed you um it's okay if it, it, it didn't i don't think so okay. i mean i really enjoyed a lot of different things but uh peds was just where where i really fell in love okay and so decided to apply to pediatrics uh, fourth year starts what kind of electives were you doing during fourth year yeah so i did um I'm I'm applying for the physician scientist track actually within pediatrics. Oh, what so what most, is that? Yeah. So <clears throat> it's a newer track kind of like MD PhD plus. So they're calling it a PSTP or physician scientist training program. Mm-hmm. Um there's several of them around the country. I would say 8 out of the 10 programs I applied to had them. And the ones that don't yet have them are looking to acquire them. So even the the um they're about 5 to 6 years old and um, they're including fellowship as kind of added on to your residency training. Mm-hmm. So when I was applying to residency, I was also looking into fellowship fields that I would be interested in. Cause when I was interviewing, they were asking me, what fellowship do you want to do? So getting back to your original question about electives, I was doing electives in things that I thought 
would be interesting fellowships to pursue. So, um, peds endocrinology, peds cardiology. Um, I did a peds genetics, uh, two week rotation. Um, and, uh, I had done an infectious disease rotation earlier in third year. So all of those were great experiences and all of them are potential fellowships that I'm interested in. So with this specialized track, do they ask you, it sounds like you pick a, a, a subdiscipline or like a fellowship at the beginning. So you can't, Okay. so you can, um, they, there's, uh, two pathways that are currently, uh, like sanctioned track pathways. Mm -hmm. They are a little bit accelerated. One's called the accelerated research pathway or ARP. And so you can do residency training in two years Mm -hmm. and then you'll do fellowship in four and basically add on a year of research into your fellowship. Mm -hmm. Another way is to do the integrated research pathway or IRP. And that can guarantee up to 11 months of research within your three years. Mm. So, it's not necessarily shortening your time, but they're recognizing that for physician scientists, having that research kind of integrated throughout residency is going to be really helpful. So both of them are pathways that I'm interested in pursuing. And depending on what fellowship I want to go into, each one may be um, better suited for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I also talked to a lot of physician scientists along the trail who said, you know, I really wanted to use my three years of residency to really just gain all that knowledge. And so they didn't do either of the tracks, but they're still um, pursuing research, have R01s, doing physician scientists. So it's just another option for physician scientists if they're interested in that path. And can only MD-PhDs apply to these programs? Um, No, but I would say that the majority of people who are doing it are MD-PhDs. So I didn't see any who were straight MDs who were doing it. Mm -hmm. They were all MD-PhDs, but in theory, I think it is open to people with a strong research background. Say if you've taken a year, couple years off in between um, years of medical school or something like Mm -hmm. that, you could also pursue that. It doesn't, and I might be wrong, but it doesn't strike me as a large, I mean, there's not, I don't think, first of all, there's not a lot of MD PhDs running around. No, there's and not. Then I, there's even fewer who are going into pediatrics. Yep. So do you kind of know all these people when you go out and see them on the interview yeah. trails and stuff? Yeah. yeah so okay. that was really fun. Okay. Um, I think we figured out that there was probably about 50 to 60 in, in all of pediatrics that were applying. And so then I was seeing the same People, subset yeah, of yeah. those people okay. along the trail. So that was really fun. And I bet we'll end up at similar programs mm-hmm. together. There are certain programs that tend to um, uh, want the the strong research background. So they're, you know, they were at least saying that they try to have, they aim to have up to one third of their class in pediatrics mm-hmm. to be MD, PhD. So that's a big cohort considering that um, here, you know, we're four to six out of a class of 100. So mm-hmm. um, it would be kind of different for me to be yeah. in a class where <laughs> a third were also MD, PhDs. Yeah, but. Yeah. And then when you go on interviewing, I, I assume, are you talking about your research a lot or is that just kind of, you know, they got more, are they more focusing on like, you know, the, the residency part? I mean, I'm just kind of curious how yeah, your so they, would be different. Yeah. They do a two day interview similar to when you apply to MD, PhD programs. Usually they have a research focused day and then they have a clinical focused day. So on the research focused day, um, it's usually only the other MD, PhD cohorts that you're, you're meeting with. And then it can vary from having lots of speakers to having lots of interviews. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the interviews can range from them asking you about your research to very structured interviews where they have specific questions that they've been told to ask everyone in the exact same way. So it can vary for the clinical side. um, That's a lot more like what 
people going straight into pediatrics residency would get. It's not very different for MD PhDs. Okay. You're meeting with uh, people just interviewing you for the, you know, are you going to be a good fit in our program? Yeah, are you a good team player? Yeah. Do you have good interpersonal skills? That yes, kind of stuff. exactly. All right. So you go around interview all these different places, and then you submitted your rank list yeah. last month. What kind of thought process? Like, walk, walk me through your, your – you don't have to, like, explicitly lay out your rank list, but what kind of things did you kind of think about? Yeah, yeah. so I was looking for – I think for me, I have loved my experience here in Utah, but I was also um, – understanding of the fact that moving on to different places has been a really positive thing for mm-hmm. me. Um, when I was applying, I think it was really helpful that I was from Boston and went to Utah. I think a lot of programs saw that as a strength that I would be willing to move somewhere. Um, so I got interviews on the West coast, the East coast, middle of the country. Um, so to me, that was a positive to not necessarily stay in the same place. So even if I want to come back to Utah, potentially as faculty, I thought it was important to apply broadly. Um, And so um, I think ultimately when creating my rank list, it came down to places that I was going to be happy. Mm -hmm. Again, I was looking for places where not only would I be going for three years of residency, but potentially three years of fellowship. And for these physician scientist programs, they can even offer um, some uh, bridge funding as early instructorship positions. So Mm -hmm. again, I'm looking at potentially six to eight years um, before even applying for faculty positions. So I wanted to pick a place I was going to be happy. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the biggest decision. Where could I be happy? Where could my family be happy? Where could I have a good commute to the program? And also strength of program was really important. Mm -hmm. And at this, and do you kind of pick a mentor or a PI at this stage or more, or is that kind of down the line? I think it's a little bit down the line. I'm not, totally sure what fellowship I want to do yet, but, um, kind of even interviewing along the way I met potential mentors who seemed really great. Mm -hmm. So I think once I, um, get to a program, it sounds like they have really good, or I ask this question a lot about what kind of, um, systems are in place to find mentors and that sort of thing. And so I picked programs that had really good, um, track records for mentorship, um, and talking to students is another great way. It's something that I always encourage people to do is just mm-hmm. ask around and yeah. ask for help. So, yeah. Word um, on the street. What, I, what do you guys think? Yeah. What's going on? Yeah. So I hope to use my own advice and ask for help once I get there. So <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. So what's harder? Waiting for match day, mm-hmm. which is coming up, or waiting for those mice to age? Oh, <laughs> oh. I think waiting for the mice to age because I, I have no control over that. I mean, I have no control over match day either, but at this point, it's just exciting. Okay. I have a lot of places I'm really excited about. Awesome. Awesome. And like, wow, like with all this going on, I mean, you, like you've had a very busy, fulfilling academic career, even up to this point. Yeah. How, how do you take breaks? What do you do to relax? What do you do to refocus? Because yeah. you've got so much stuff going on. Great question. I think it's balances super important. Um, this is definitely a marathon, not a sprint. Mm-hmm. Um, not that medical school is a sprint, but the MD PhD, I mean, nine years, 10 years you get, I can definitely tell that my perspective is different than some of my classmates. Um, so you, you just have to take those moments for yourself, whether it's taking a weekend vacation or, um, you know, when I was interviewing, I took a couple extra days at each place to kind of just make sure not only do I like the program, do, do I like the city? Um, you know, when I'm here and I think fourth year is a little bit easier than third year, but even during third year, you know, during my surgery rotation, I was able to work really hard and then, then take 
you know, all three of my vacation days on a long weekend. Mm -hmm. So for me, that was better because then I could kind of get away and relax and do something fun. And then the daily stuff, you just have to, I take my dogs on hikes. I go running. Um, you know, I try and read books, but that, that honestly can be hard. Yeah. (laughs) Books that have nothing to do with aging. Well, yeah, yeah, usually you're trying to read up on the, the, the patients for tomorrow and Mm -hmm. stuff like that, but you just take your moments and, um, try and, Find balance in your life because I think it's really important, especially now that I'm a, ten years into this. Ten years, <laughs> it's a yeah. long time. Yeah, long time. Well, Alex, it's been great having you on the pod. I wish you the very best Thank on you. Match Day. Thank I'm, you. I'm very excited to hear where you end up. It sounds like you'll probably be outside of Utah. That's, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, you know, not that I. This place is fantastic, but mm-hmm. I like kind of looking for the new adventure around the corner. So it's been really fun for me moving from Boston and I'm excited for where we'll head next. Okay. Well, thank you, Alex. Yeah. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with Dr. Benjamin Chan, the ultimate resource to help you on your journey to and through medical school, a production of the Scope Health Sciences Radio online at thescoperadio.com.